Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Feet Apart with me, your host, Peachy Patra. I would just like to let everyone know that there is a bit of a trigger warning for this episode as we will be talking about some situations that involve sexual assault and domestic violence. So I know that a lot of people that know me personally are really keen to know kind of the ins and outs of my marriage and separation and kind of what's going on with that. And we'll get there. Um, We'll be discussing it in a way that's respectful to my previous partner. And uh, but first, let's start with kind of how this ties into the journey of my individuality and how I let that like other life circumstances affect me in various ways so I found myself while I was dating kind of trying to fill the void of my father my biological father that I didn't grow up with I didn't really know anything about him at this point when I was dating and so you know, if I found a guy that was from the same country that my dad was born and raised, I'd be like, um, okay, I need him because, you know, maybe he can teach me about the culture or the cooking or the language or, and you know, this probably sounds ridiculous if you've never been in this situation. However, when you're in that space and you're in that headset, like that mindset, it's whatever information you can get, whatever you can do to try to fill that void and to try to stuff something in there that you're like oh this makes sense this is viable I can attach that to his story and that answers questions like that's kind of what you go with and it led me into some some like really shitty relationships pardon my French um oh yeah for example whenever there was a guy that was from Sierra Leone I and I'm thinking one specifically, and uh, he um, he wasn't he wasn't for me at all. He wanted a marriage and babies like off the hop right away, and you know he wasn't the kindest, and he was very um, controlling and possessive, and I excused it all. And I was like, this is okay, this is fine, it's all fine, but it wasn't fine. And I was allowing these behaviors to happen because I was excusing it because I thought that him being with me was doing me a favor because he could teach me these things that I was vying to know. Like I was desperate for like grasping at anything that I could that could be related back to my father. And uh, so he was one of them. And then other situations were, you know, abusive relationships. And they were guys that kind of had like the bad boy edge. And um, and that's a trait that they had aligned with my father. Not specifically, like kind of different. But, uh, you know, when I was younger... Um, he had written me some letters and, you know, as I got older, I Googled the return address that was on them and it was a prison. And these are things that I wasn't super aware of growing up. And so I never really discussed them with my mom or my other siblings or anything. And I, uh, 
I was like, well, you know, sure, maybe guys that go to prison aren't that bad. And so, you know, I had started dating this one guy. He seemed kind of like a, like a rebel, whatever. He was just kind of different. And, uh, and then he had said to me on one of our first dates that he had been to juvie and, um, and that he had some charges against him. And I was like, okay, sure. That's fine. I mean, you can't be that bad because, you know, yeah, you're just not that bad. And I let that relationship go on and that turned into an abusive relationship. And I distinctly remember one time I was at his house. Well, it wasn't his house. It was an apartment. And I'm not even sure it was his, to be honest, uh, looking back now. But, um, you know, we were up in the apartment and we were hanging out and having a good time. And he had just got back from a long trip uh, overseas to his home country in the Middle East. And uh, so we we're sitting there talking and I, I'm not sure how he assumed that I was a virgin, but he did. And through discussion, it came out that I wasn't because I'm a very open like I'm a sexually open and sensual person. And so I'm not sure how he didn't kind of clue into that, but he didn't anyway. And uh, so when it came out, he got so angry and so filled with rage. He started throwing things. Um, he knocked a lamp off the table. He was throwing cutlery in the kitchen that included knives. He was throwing stuff against the wall, throwing stuff towards me. I basically waited for him to pass out and got out as soon as I physically could. Um, and I was terrified. I was like, oh my God. And, you know, even after he had his throwing fit, we ended up going out somewhere and he was just being so inappropriate and so rude. And I remember we walked past a couple of police officers and he made some really inappropriate, vulgar comments. And I just kind of looked at them like, you could do something. Like, I won't get mad. And they didn't. They just kind of ignored it, thinking that we were both just... I don't know what they were thinking, honestly. Like, I genuinely wish they would have done something. Um, but yeah, and so, you know, I, I didn't really speak to him again afterwards. And then I remember he messaged me and he's like, well, you knew I had these issues. You knew I had been to prison and you said that was okay. And I was like, well slightly different um and it was just like a pattern like I wish that that was a one-off situation um but there were several relationships that uh ended like that and most of them were men that either had a criminal background of sorts whether it was violent or involved drugs or theft and that kind of stuff um or they were guys that were from Africa. And I always chose the ones that were were a lot more traditional and West African. And then, you know, the problem with that is I'm a very alpha female. And I like to have control of my own life. And that is not something that aligns with what a lot of these men I was seeing believed. And so with that, it was, again, just kind of filling a void. And it was growing up. Um, I had been under the impression that my father didn't want me and that's why I was adopted and that's why I never saw him and all this stuff. And so it was like these guys that have the same traits, not the same 
um, but like similar traits and, you know, that are from the same place and the same culture and, you know, they might need to be fixed, but they, they want me and that's all I needed to hear. I just needed to know that someone that I could associate with my father wanted me. And I think that was one of my biggest pitfalls and just kind of letting that shape my dating history. And, you know, to this day, my therapist and I still talk about some of these relationships and just the effect that they had on me and the effect that I was hoping they would have. And obviously that never fully aligned and the void was still there. It was still gaping open. And then I was just crushed from these relationships because, you know, it come to the point where I was like, okay, I need to leave or, you know, something. And, you know, I would end this relationship and I would be like, well, now I'm just sad and I still have this void and I'm a little heartbroken and I'm traumatized and I'm hurt. And so when I'm dating people now, I have like that list of values and I'm like, do you have this, this and this? And yeah, some of them align with my father, but some of them align with my dad and some of them align with neither. And it's just kind of what I need. And it's what I need to feel loved and supported because different love languages, different apology languages, that all means something significant to me. And that is kind of essential to my dating style now. It was that he was elusive. He had things that I felt I could fix. I fell in love with the potential. I fell in love with the potential of our future. I fell in love with the potential of how he could treat me, not how he treated me. I fell in love with the potential of the words that he said and what I would hope he would say and not what he was actually saying. And, you know, he was hard to obtain like I live in southern Ontario and he was in uh, New York and you know so I could only see him on weekends at first and then we'd spend a week together and I'd go down there and it was just kind of fun and it was so in the moment and again it was mostly just the potential of it and it was that you know I had had all these really abusive and awful relationships that traumatized me and I was like well I mean he's he's not physically assaulting me he's not raping me he's not throwing things at me or breaking my stuff or stalking me so I was like this must be good this must be like the thing that I've been waiting for and you know he got along with my family so well and you know, it was the potential. It was what I thought it could be. And I thought, you know, he's a black man. And I am sure that even just his race had a factor to it. And just the sense that, you know, he knew kind of 
the black history and the black culture. And, you know, he introduced me to songs that I later found out my father really loved. And it was those things that I was like, oh, maybe this bring me closer in a different way. And it was just the confusion of like the love and the lust and the potential. And I keep going back to that word because I think it's so important. And now I read quotes and it's like, don't fall in love with the potential of a person, fall in love with who the person is, because you don't want to go into a relationship with the intention to change someone, because that'll never work out. And even if you can change them, like there's a part of them that obviously doesn't want that because if they wanted to be a certain way, they would. So with our relationship, it was like it started great. The honeymoon phase was really brief. And, you know, even after we got engaged, things started to go downhill. And I remembered on the days leading up to our wedding day, I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't want to do this. And, you know, he was like, well, I want to marry you. But like, I don't think now's the time. And I don't think either of our hearts were truly in it. And uh, but we did it because everything was booked and people had flown to come. So we did. And I, you know, I remember the morning of our wedding day, we got in this massive fight and it was it was a lot. And, you know, my dad had the car running and he comes into the living room and he's like, Padra, you need to be at the venue or no, the reception. No. Oh, what is it? The church. You have to be at the church in 10 minutes. And I'm sitting there with a towel on my head in a robe, just scrolling Instagram. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm getting up. Like I'll go. And you know, my makeup, like I'm wearing more makeup recording this on a lazy day than I did on my wedding day. And if you know me, you know that like makeup's a big part of my appearance I take pride in it and you know my hair was like half wet and you know as you know from an earlier episode my hair is big to me like it's always gotta be like you can tell how I'm feeling through my hair and so my parents have uh, a pretty big house and it's got a pool and a hot tub and so they invited the wedding party over after the wedding so that everyone could party and have fun after the reception and everything and you know my husband was like well I want to go and party with my friends I was like okay and you know he spent the whole reception with his friends because he argued that they didn't know anyone else but nobody at the rest of the wedding knew anyone else and at least they all had each other but anyway so we didn't even spend that together like it wasn't like it was some beautiful beautiful magical touching evening that you know I'll hold on to forever I genuinely was a little traumatized by it because you know the entire time I was upset from our fight earlier my heart wasn't in it I was throwing up the entire day I remember for our dinner we had like this big country style buffet with like cheesecake afterwards and there was different pies and ice cream and all this and the entire day and night all I had was one piece of cauliflower literally just like a chunk and I threw it up afterwards too so it wasn't even like held in or anything and uh, you know and if your marriage starts like that 
I mean, some people it can get better, but ours did not. You know, I remember there were there were times afterwards when I, you know, said, like, I don't think this is what's for us. And I I didn't even hand in our marriage certificate until months later. I had told the priest, I was like, no, no, I'll take it. Like, you don't have to hand it in because I was so just hesitant on it. And, you know, like they say, trust your gut and trust your instinct. I did to an extent, but I didn't fully trust it. And that's what we need to do as people, especially in these relationships when we're making big decisions. And so I held on to that marriage certificate and the license for like months. And then he was like, you know, I need it for something. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it'll be here in a couple of weeks. And I literally mailed it that day. I was like, well, I guess I'll uh, get on that now. But, you know, it was things like that. And, you know, I found several dating apps and, you know, I would confront him about it. And it was excuses and excuses. And, you know, one time it was, well, you had this encounter with an ex of yours, so I didn't trust you, and I downloaded it to see if you were on it, but, you know, it was a full profile with details and everything like this, and, you know, I just remember being like, well, that encounter with the ex was an assault that was reported and that deeply traumatized me and wounded me and you know there were police involved and all of this and so it wasn't something that should have been held against me um by a partner but it was uh, i remember for christmas my younger brother was having brain surgery on december 19th and uh, that was the same day as his birthday like my husband's birthday, not my brother's. And uh, so I had talked to my brother and he was like, well, you know, they're only going to let one person in the room like the ICU at a time after I'm out of surgery. And you know, mom's not going to let anyone else be there. So you might as well just go down, spend the holidays and the week with your husband and, you know, just come visit me when I get into the general area of the hospital. And, uh, so I did, I packed up Christmas. I bought a mini Christmas tree. I bought, you know, pine scented candles and ornaments. And I got all of my family to pre-wrap the presents for my husband and including like my grandparents, like my grandma went out and got him a stocking of stuff and all of this. And so I brought all of this to the barracks because that's where we were staying at the time. And, you know, I set it all up and I was super excited about it. And then on Christmas Day, he was like, well, you know, I booked a I booked a flight for myself to go back home, which is Georgia. Um, so you're going to have to leave tomorrow. I remember just being so stunned and heartbroken. Like, you know, this is our first married Christmas. I just drove six hours with a car full of Christmas stuff. And like, I don't even think I had set up the tree yet because I was waiting for the like the perfect moment to surprise him with it. And I was so crushed. And I remember he was like, well, I don't know why you're so upset. And I was like, well you know, if you wanted to go back home, like, 
you could have talked to me about it. You could have asked if I wanted to come or you could have just kind of had that open discussion. Like when you're in a married relationship, you need to be able to discuss these things together. And, you know, I remember the next day he made me drive him to his friend's house in the morning with his bag. And uh, it was before I took off to go home and apparently his friend was taking him to the airport and I didn't hear from him for the next four or five days. He didn't text. He didn't call. I didn't get pictures of his trip, nothing. And then he was back all of a sudden and he was like, oh, okay, you can come back now. And I was, I went. (laughs) That's basically how it went. I packed up my shit and I drove the six hours to go see him at the drop of a hat because he said I could and because I was heartbroken and I wanted to be validated and I want to I wanted to feel loved and I wanted to feel valued examples of things that it just doesn't work out I had booked us you know marriage counseling and on the day of he just decided that we didn't need to go so he wouldn't come it's these moments it's the little moments in relationships where things matter it's not the grand gestures it's not the days that he filled our bed with rose petals and candles and chocolate it's the little moments it's the little decisions and the things that add up because marriage shouldn't be Like it's your promise and commitment to make the choice to continue loving someone. It's not that you chose them and that's it. It's the consistency of showing that decision that you choose that person and you choose to love them and support them and respect them and show them all these things. And... You know, you read those quotes that are like, you know, when you're married, you have to work everything out. And, you know, true love never gives up on someone. But I think those are wrong because I think that relationships come and go in seasons. And I have this with friendships as well and friendships that just didn't work out. And they were seasons of my life. And I am so grateful. So I don't regret any of these relationships or friendships or anything like that. And I think, you know, at the time, maybe that's what I needed. I needed that push into something else. I needed that to open my mind and to open my heart. And so I had these friendships that I lost and it crushed me to lose them. And it wasn't even one thing or the other it was just a lack of compatibility like you either grow with someone or you grow apart and that's the reality and you can't force things once things have grown apart and so for me I just I look back at that time with these people my husband my friends and I value them so strongly because it's like when you have jobs like no job I mean some but no job that I've had 
has lasted forever so far. I've had so many jobs, whether it was, you know, working as an office manager at a political campaign office or working as a bra fitting specialist or a physio assistant or a nanny or a support worker. Um, And these were all seasons and they were all little things. And I'm grateful for each of those jobs because they all taught me transferable skills that I take with me through future jobs and future experiences that mean so much. But these relationships are the same. They teach you things. And through my marriage, I regretted, I previously had regret for, you know, saying I was going to leave as often as I did. Because, you know, I'd find her Tinder profile and I'd be like, that's it. I'm done. I'm leaving. And I wouldn't leave. And then, you know, he'd disappear for a week right after I intentionally overdosed. And he knew that. And I had told him, I just need your love and support. And then I couldn't contact him and he just wasn't there. So... You know, when these things happened, I had to learn how to bring myself out of that dark place because no one attempts suicide just for fun and with full control of their mindset. No one attempts any of these things. And, you know, I didn't, I kept it very private. And I I didn't tell him until after the fact because I was very overwhelmed with other things that were going on. But even when I had told him after the fact, he still wasn't there. And it took me months in therapy to realize that, like, no, I didn't want to kill myself. And I just it was a cry for help. And it was it wasn't a cry for help from my therapist. It wasn't a cry for help from my family. It was just that, you know, things were so damaged in my relationship that I couldn't find a way to have that strength in myself. And so that's what taught me it. And, you know, you have to take these skills and figure out you know, what does this teach me? How can I move forward from it? And so I had to learn how to pull myself out of the depths of some of the darkest moments of my life. And, you know, I had to clap for myself when I got jobs that I really loved and was happy about. And I had to push myself to, uh, you know, apply for other jobs that... I really wanted and I had to be there for myself and I had to love myself because I wasn't getting that from where I thought I should be and I think it's most important that I recognize that and that you can get all these things from your partner from yourself and of course your partner should be loving and supportive but if you're not loving and supportive towards yourself from the first place Like, I almost want to say, how could you expect someone else to do that for you? And I mean, they can. It's possible. It's a thing. But in my experience, I needed to find that in myself before I could demand that and expect it in my relationships going forward. 
it was it was one of those things and I'm gonna see if I can find this text from my friend because I reread it on a very frequent basis and she had texted me when I had said you know I think I'm finally gonna leave but I don't know and it was her way of saying like well you'll hear it let me see I'm just scrolling scrolling okay so you know I said she said do you want my honest opinion and I said yes and this a direct quote because I'm reading it from the screen and she said there's something off and where there's smoke there's fire he has abandoned you when you needed him most and now it's a repetitive behavior I sense dishonesty and then I'm going to leave this next little part out um something is off I'm not sure that there's fixing that you can do here Honestly, I sense a long road of pain for you. I tell you this because I care for you. I'm also sad because I hate that you're so optimistic about him. You don't owe me any explanations. It's my opinion. So there's no need to reply to this. And I remember when she sent me this, as harsh as it might sound in some of the wording, and I left some of it out for specific reasons, um, but it was like a hug almost like, you can stop trying now because you know I saw all these red flags I experienced all these things uh you know I felt the unfaithfulness and the lack of love and support and the gaslighting and the manipulation and all of this and I kept trying to fix it I read so many books and listened to so many podcasts I even went to marriage counseling by myself when he wouldn't go with me and I went to workshops and I spoke to people and I did everything that I felt I could do and I was so worn out and so broken and I was at the point where I was just spending all of my time in bed crying whether it was with him without him it didn't matter because I just didn't know how to fix this broken thing that was in front of me and you know people kept saying well you're married so you can't give up that easy you haven't been married that long so you have to keep trying and all these things kept coming at me no that's not something that you need to accept you don't need to accept less than you deserve because the thing is you can't fall in love with the potential because it won't be there the potential is a concept and it's not something that's a given and so you can't fall in love with the potential and since leaving my therapist has taught me the concept of grieving the gap and I think it's so beautiful and you know when I think of the wording I'm like wow grief is a really that's a really strong word to be using for me and my situation I'm like you know we haven't been married that long and you know, it could have been worse. And um, so grieving the gap is essentially when you feel that grief and you're mourning the loss of where you thought you would be and what you thought was happening and what you thought the potential was versus the reality and versus what it actually was and what you're actually facing. And so I just want to read this quote and it's by Jamie Anderson. And grief I've learned is really just love it's all the love you want to give 
but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. And I came to that conclusion before I read the quote once my therapist used that phrase, grieving the gap. And so I just started expelling love in different ways. And, you know, especially towards myself and my friendships with, you know, these people that were there for me and that were supportive towards me. And so I put that love into so many other things. And that's how I found the light at the end of the tunnel because you know at first before I left him I was like I you know (laughs) I laugh at it but it's so true I felt like I didn't know how I could know love without him and you know during our time together there had been a lot he had people in his life that mattered to him that had passed away I had people in my life that mattered to me to pass away you know he experienced a lot of almost trauma in his workplace I experienced trauma you know in other situations and other ways and just depression was so heavy on me and it was So to come out of it and see that I could know other love that didn't have to have the potential and was already there. And, you know, they talk about red flags in relationships. I saw so many red flags and I was just like, it's fine. It's fine. You know, rose colored glasses, all the flags look the same now. But the thing is, like, now in relationships, like, you got to look for green flags, too. Because, you know, you can't be like, you know, even if someone doesn't have the absence, sorry, if someone has the absence of red flags, that doesn't mean that they just have green flags. That doesn't mean they have all those great personality traits and they're supportive and they're stable and they have good relationships with their family and all of this. It doesn't mean any of that. And it's like a post that I had made on Instagram recently. It was, you know, just because something's not bad doesn't make it good. And so I was dating this guy recently and, you know, he knows I'm separated and, you know, things had been going well and he's significantly older than me. And, uh, you know, things were fine. Like we would go for coffee a couple times a week. We would go do activities in the city and, you know, kind of have fun. But then I realized, like, you know, things weren't bad with him. He didn't have all these red flags that I had ignored in my previous relationship. But then he also didn't have any green ones. I didn't feel a spark with him. I didn't feel that, like, you know, let me take your pants off. Like, I I just want to be around you and all this energy. Like, it wasn't there. And... I think we owe it to ourselves to have more than an experience that's just not bad and that's not based on potential because that's how we break our own hearts. You need to find someone that doesn't complete the other half 
I don't want someone that's my other half. I don't want a significant other. I want someone that compliments who I am, that sees me and what I have to offer and not my potential. They see this is my, this is how I approach love. This is how I approach relationships. This is my work habits. This is my routine. This is who I am. And they're like, great, well, this is who I am. And, you know, they look pretty damn good together. So let's do this. And instead of it all being based on possibility and it all being based on chance, it's not. It's based on facts. And the fact is that you can't expect someone else to make you happy if you're not happy. It should be that you both make each like yourselves independently happy and then you come together and you're just happy together. And I the main takeaway I want people to understand from this episode specifically is that if you were in one of those relationships previously or you're in one now, it's okay to give up. You're not a quitter. And, you know, marriage doesn't have to last forever. It can be a season. It can be something you choose. It can end happily if you both respect that fact that, you know, it was what served you at one point and no longer serves you anymore. And... It's important to remember that you can't bank on potential. I can't be like, oh, I potentially have 2000 in my bank account, so I'm going to go shopping. No, it's not there. You hope it's there, but it's not, and it might not. And I want people to take away from this and walk away knowing that you owe yourself the love and respect and support that you seek out of other people and that you you should be your own significant other and anything else should just be a compliment to that and again it doesn't have to last forever it's like a job take those skills Put it on your resume and move forward. Look for something that suits you more to what you need now because your needs don't have to stay the same. The things you're looking for don't have to stay the same. And some of these stagnant, stagnant relationships aren't going to fulfill you and benefit you. And I think we all just need to be a little more open-minded about the fact that divorce rates are high. We know this. But that shouldn't be a fear and a reason that you don't fall in love. It shouldn't be a bad thing. It should be like, no. Like how is someone says, oh, are you still friends with so-and-so? Oh, not really. We drifted apart. Cool. It. So when you say you're divorced, it shouldn't be like, oh, my God, how could you? The shame is brought upon your family. It's raining on you. And, 
you know, all this stuff. No, it should be like, oh, okay, cool. That was a season of your life that ended. You're moving forward. It's done. It's a different part. It's a part of who you are now. And that person may or may not have regret for that relationship. They might hold it closely and dearly and be like, you know what? That was a beautiful time spent together. And I personally, in my relationship, learned so much about myself. And it's what sparked this entire journey. It's what sparked Two Feet Apart. It sparked the trip that you'll hear about at the end. It sparked meeting my sister and it sparked so many beautiful and wonderful things. And so, you know, it was the soil and sometimes there's soil erosion and it falls apart. But then if you look afterwards at the forest or whatever analogy we're going with, it builds up so beautifully afterwards. And so I want everyone to remember that. So thank you for tuning in to today's episode. And if you want to follow me personally, my handle is Peachy Patra on Instagram. Or if you want to follow the brand, the community, and figure out what we're doing, what's coming up, uh, follow Two Feet Apart. Um, the word, not the letter. Uh, I mean the word, not the number. Um, two Feet Apart, T W O. F-E-E-T-A-P-A-R-T on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. I've already said that like three times. Bye guys. Mm -hmm.